I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. If you do have cover crops in the ground, now's a great time to get them chopped back and cut them all the way back down to the ground. I mean, you can just chop and drop them and they'll just... Like many of us, YouTube gardener Moffin Alley has been busy recently. So the first thing on the list of my jobs for this month is to get your beds mulched and your beds prepared for the next season. Rather than leave a patch of soil uncovered, take advantage of a gap in the growing season or the gap in your growing timetable and build soil fertility. Moffin's completely right. Now is a great time to improve your soil. Making sure it's nutrient rich and fertile is something we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. Starting with a tricky but exciting soil type, chalk. It brings opportunities to recreate a type of garden that actually most people wouldn't have. We'll also hear how the fragrant black currant brings joy. In the gardener's year, I think there are a few scents that really evoke a really particular time. Like, for example, the scent of an autumn bonfire, the scent of the first frost as you go out on a frosty morning. And another one for me is the smell of those blackcurrant bushes. Plenty to be digging, sowing and tending to. So let's get gardening with the RHS. I'm Guy Barter. Last time we spoke to Moffin Alley, who gives out gardening advice on his YouTube channel, My Family Garden, he was telling us all about his love of potatoes. But this time it's a spicier plant that's filling up his windowsills. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. It's here, it's that time of year again, it's time to start our chilies. And Because chilies require such a long season to grow, they just need that time. Because what normally happens is what I see with a lot of people is they'll sow their chilies in March and then by the time the chilies have got onto the plant and they're coming around to harvest time, the season's almost ended and they never get those ripe chilies. So we, what we like to do is we start our chilies off towards the end of December, start of January, but we have this interesting method of growing our chilies. So you might be wondering why I'm making a cup of tea in the middle of a chili making video. This method I took from my mum. So my mum's basically my, my main teacher when it comes to gardening, that is, it comes from my mum. And what she always used to do is a, a method that they've always done is they use soaks to soak seeds overnight and that just helps get those seeds germinated. So I'll leave that for a few minutes to brew, just like you're making a cup of tea. And then this is gonna be my tea soak. When I make a morning cuppa, take the tea bag out and just make a weak tea mix. Once you've got that with seeds that are old and dry, especially works with, well with them, 
you just soak the seeds in there in a little pot with that tea overnight. 24 hours is sufficient. And then once we've got that, we'll just sow into one pot. So we'll sow loads of seeds into one pot and then we'll watch that germinate. It just gives us more time under the propagator because we're going to need, for chilies, we're going to need a lot of heat to get them germinated. So about 20 to 25 degrees Celsius. So we use heated propagators and heated heat mats to get them germinated. And once they're germinated and they get to about an inch and a half tall, we prick them out and separate them into their individual pots. And then once they're in their individual pots, we'll grow them on under grow lights, especially at this time of year, because it's quite the days are still quite short. But once, I mean, if you don't have grow lights, then once the day length gets to about 12 hours of daylight a day, then as long as you've got a nice sunny window, you should be able to get these plants growing on quite nicely without them getting too leggy. There's something about chilies that just sort of gets me excited. So we've got Carolina Reaper, Trinidad Maruga, Scotch Bonnets. I've got about five or six different varieties of Naga chilies. So yellow Naga, red Naga, Dorset Naga, traditional Bengali Naga. And it, and it ranges all the way down to some quite mild ones. So jalapenos and bell peppers and things like that. So it, it, we, we've got quite a big range. It's just a fun thing to plant for me. Another one that we're sowing at the moment is aubergines. And again, with aubergines, treat them much like chilies because they just need that long season. And so we've got a couple of long purple varieties, Black Beauty, uh, Moneymaker, aubergines. They really work well for us. And they're sort of varieties that we always sow because they always do well. Then we'll experiment with a few different varieties every now and then. But we always saw those ones as our main staple, if it, as it were. Towards the middle of February, end of February, that's when we'll go heavy on tomatoes. Because, again, with tomatoes, they need that long season. And because they need that long season, and we're quite blight-prone where we are, we normally get hit by blight quite badly towards the end of August. And that's just when a lot of tomatoes are ripening. But if we start our tomatoes off in February... Towards the end of June, we're harvesting tomatoes. And then with our chilies and with our aubergines and with our tomatoes, they'll, be st they'll stay in the house until probably the end of April. Once they get to the end of April, then we'll start hardening them off and moving them into the greenhouse. And then we'll decide on whether they're gonna, who's going to stay in the prize spots in the greenhouse and who's going to go and be relegated to the garden. <laughs> My dad's busy playing with his compost, so we're going to do some work. I mean, absolutely, the kids love getting involved. Whenever there's a bit of mud in the house, they're, they're the first to get, you know, uh, stuck in. So we were planting chilies the other night, and my little boy, the youngest one, he's four now, he decides to make mud cakes in the middle of, <laughs> in the, middle of the living room. So I'm potting plants up. And he wants to make mud cake, so he's got himself some water and he's making, you know, taking a compost mix and he's just making mud in the middle of the living room. So it can be a little bit messy, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, this is one of the things that got me gro growing, getting involved with my father and getting involved with my mum uh, when I was really young. It's just given me that bug and that urge to keep wanting to grow. Yeah, there must be one inch. 
below the soil. In the autumn, what we'll do is we'll plant cover crops. So we'll plant green manures anywhere we've got patches of earth uh, that are bare that we've finished harvesting from or we're about to harvest from, we'll just underplant those with cover crops. So as soon as we take our harvest, those cover crops have already got themselves a little bit established and they're raring to go. And they'll cover our soil all the way through winter and they'll protect our garden all the way through winter. And once we get to sort of January, February time, depending on the type of crops that we're going to plant in those beds, we'll either chop and drop those green manures and just let them compost in place or we'll mulch that. So we'll chop the cover crops down and then we'll add a layer of compost over the top of that and then we can plant into that layer of compost really easy while the cover crops are breaking down underneath. And that's just adding loads of nutrition, loads of fertility back to the soil. So the cover crops have protected the soil from being worn away by the winds, by stopping uh, nutrients from leaching out because we get lots of rain. We're at the top of the hill, get lots of rain, lots of wind. So they protect it from that. And then because they've captured all, all of that nutrients in their leaves, once you chop them down, they just release it back to the soil and it's ready, your garden's ready to go once they've broken down. Right now, the three jobs to get on with is get on with your planning. So decide on what you're going to plant, where you're going to plant it. If there's beds that are bare, get some mulch on them and get everything cleaned and in tip-top shape ready for you to work. As Moffin mentioned, if you're growing chilies some seeds, it's best if you get started nice and early. Don't panic if you're running out of time. Chili plants are widely available to buy from April to June, both online and in garden centres. Just remember to choose a nice green plant with no sign of yellowing and no sign of wilting and with strong, healthy white roots appearing out of the bottom of the pot. Then you'll have a plant that'll do you proud. And I completely agree with something else he said. It's so important to keep improving the soil. Manure, compost, leaf mould... All of these enhance soil texture, enhance soil biology and increase soil health. And a healthy soil means healthy plants. But the way you treat your soil varies depending on its type. So where to start? If you're not sure what soil type you've got, go and get a bit of soil out of your garden, slightly damp and roll it up into a ball in your hand. If it rolls into a ball and it's a little bit sticky, then you've got a clay soil type if you can't get it to roll into a ball and it just falls apart you've probably got a sandy soil type most chalky soils have quite a thin layer of topsoil over them before you get to the chalk so it wouldn't be a case of putting a spade in the ground you would literally just have a trowel and then you would hit that chalk bedrock so that's a very rough and ready way of determining what type of soil you've got over the next few weeks, advisor Nikki Barker will clear things up with the ultimate guide to soil types. Some plants like clay, some sandy, others chalky, most loam. It can feel like a lottery choosing the right plants for the right soil. But Nikki is going to break it all down. Let's start with chalk. There are specific places in the country that have chalky soils and we have that image, don't we, of the White Cliffs of Dover. It's alkaline. So it has a high lime content. So you do really need to look out for those plants that like 
lime. A lot of that could be alpine plants, for example. So things like dianthus grow really well. But there's lots of other plants that you can try. And alpine plants are, are certainly worth doing. It's very low in fertility. It's very free draining. So you need things that are drought tolerant, that don't need a lot of feeding. So actually, if you select the right plants, then often they can be quite low maintenance. So that's even things like ceanothus, junipers, euonymus, lavender does well on chalk, rosemary, lots of herbs, actually, because they like poor soils. Agapanthus, geraniums, echinacea, lots of herbaceous perennials do quite well on chalky soils. But they're also quite good for doing wildflower areas as well, because there's quite a lot of wildflowers that are specific to chalky soils, corn cockles, for example, and cornflowers. So if you want to do a wildflower area, they are one of the soils that are almost easier to do a wildflower area on because they've got all of the ingredients there that the wildflowers like. Wildflowers often don't like very fertile soil, so it can be quite difficult sometimes to establish a particularly annual wildflower meadows areas on clay soils, which are very fertile. Most viburnums will grow well on them, choisia, cistus, rock roses. So you do have a choice, but there will be quite large groups of plants that don't grow well on them. Rhododendrons, camellias, pyrus, that sort of thing. Go with what works on the soil you've got because it's very hard to change the pH and the structure of that soil. I have friends that live on the South Downs, on the north side of the hill, as it were, and they've done quite a lot of raised beds. So rather than trying to change the soil or, or do anything, they've actually done, I suppose it's almost like a little bit of terracing but it just increases the depth of the topsoil by 20, 25 centimetres. And that's made a big difference to what they can plant. So that is something that's worth considering. You don't need to do anything particularly to the soil underneath. You can just raise the level using either wooden raised beds. My friends have used brick, actually, but there's lots of different materials you can do. And you can just increase that depth of topsoil and that means you can widen your choice of plants as well. It sounds like quite an expensive thing to do, but it's not as expensive as constantly buying plants that die and then replacing them. So it is worth thinking about. For people who are interested in chalk gardening, there's a wonderful garden near Worthing in Sussex called Highdown. And that was established a long time ago by a Sir Frederick Stern in an old chalk pit. And he wrote a book called The Chalk Garden, which is the go-to reference for choosing plants for chalk soils. Chalkland gardeners can borrow it from the RHS library. We have several copies and it's well worth reading, even though it was done many years ago now. Next time, we'll dig into how to work with clay soil. Plants are memorable for so many different reasons. Maybe it's the vibrant blooms of dahlias, or honeysuckle's sweet smell, the curling fronds of ferns, or the soft leaf rustle of ancient oak trees. But for my fellow podcast host, Gareth Richards, it's the scent of a shrub that sticks in his mind. Black currants make bushes between three and five feet high, 
and about three and five feet across. They're multi-stemmed shrubs and they have leaves a bit like sycamores, plain green leaves, a few different points on them and they have tiny little greenish red flowers in the spring. So far, so boring, but then you touch them and you get this incredible scent. Even in winter, you can just stroke the branches and you get this wonderful kind of leafy, warm, resinous scent that's completely unique. I can't think of anything like it. It's absolutely delightful. It's used in perfumery and it gives you a hint of what the plant's capable of. This is quite a good tip actually. So if you've just inherited an allotment or you can't remember which currant bush is which because red currant and black currant bushes look vaguely similar and people grow them alongside each other. If you can't remember which one's which, just stroke the stems and even in the winter, those buds will release that lovely, lovely scent. In the gardener's year, I think there are a few scents that really evoke a really particular time. Like, for example, the scent of an autumn bonfire, the scent of the first frost as you go out on a frosty morning, or when you go into a greenhouse and the tomato plants have got to a certain size and you can really smell them. And another one for me is the smell of those blackcurrant bushes. I always used to love we would go on holiday to Cornwall to some of my parents friends and when we would get there they would just be picking the black currants and they'd make black currant jam so it was the second week of the school holiday so sort of end of July early August and then we'd have this amazing rich fruity fragrant jam with our toast in the morning and it just cemented that time of year and the love of that plant was kind of instilled in me from that point on. A real allotment workhorse, or in your vegetable patch as well, you can get up to 10 pounds or four and a half kilos of berries per plant. They are really, really productive. And also, they're incredibly rich in vitamin C, almost four times as much as oranges. And they have an array of antioxidants in there as well, so they're actually quite a health-giving food. Black currants are actually one of our few native fruits. But surprisingly, they weren't really grown much until about the 16th century. So there's no Roman frescoes extolling their virtues. And there's, there's not a great deal of medieval manuscripts telling us how they were used in banquets. They were, they were used medicinally for sore throats and things. But as sugar became more available in the 17th, 18th centuries, then they became much more popular. Because once you put sugar with them, this alchemy happens and you can really enjoy their lovely fruity flavours because they are quite sour without them. And then there was a lot of blackcurrant breeding in the 19th and early 20th century. So you get these old varieties with um, lovely old names like Laxton's Giant and Wellington Triple X. But I would say for gardeners today, go for the modern varieties. There was a breeding program in Scotland and they made a lot of varieties which have Ben in front of them, the word Ben. So you have Ben Conan, for example, or Big Ben. These modern ones would be much better for your garden because they'll be tend to be a bit smaller, they'll be a bit more disease resistant and just better for modern gardens, really modern usage. Planting black currants is really easy. What you want to do is if it's between November and mid to late March, you can buy them as bare root plants, which means they've been grown in a field and they've been dug up. And that's quite a cheap way to do it. And you have no peat, no plastic. That's really, really handy. Otherwise you can buy them in pots all year round, plant them quite deeply. So there are a couple of centimetres, maybe an inch below where they were in the pot. And then do space them out because if you put them too closely, they might be prone to disease. So four or five feet, 1.2, 1.5 metres between the bushes because they will grow. They will fill out. It might look like you're spacing little twigs miles apart. But trust me, 
it will be worth it. And then the one thing you do want to do is protect them from the birds, buy some netting just to keep the birds off because blackbirds love them as much as people. And it's nice to have them have culinary rather than just wildlife value. tips for growing them is they're quite greedy plants so they will really really appreciate any kind of mulching if you've got some homemade compost or a bit of well-rotted stable manure chuck that around them in the dormant period so between sort of autumn and spring they're really good in shade and a bit of damp soil as well so don't try and grow them somewhere really hot or dry you can grow them in containers as well. If you've got a patio that has a little bit of shade, put them in a big container, they'll be fine. And also they're dead easy from cuttings. So almost any time of year, it's best when they don't have leaves on, but you can literally just cut bits off about the thickness of a pencil, about eight inches, 15 centimeters long, stick them in the ground and they will root away, no problem. I love growing black currants because they are so easy. They will, even if you neglect them, completely they will still give you a crop and they're tasty they're delicious and they're just so good for you so what's not to love well i'm with gareth there i'm a big fan of black currants i grow a lot on my allotment they thrive quite well at the back where it's partially shaded by trees and every year i pick a big bucket of black currants and my favorite use is black currant ice cream delicious. Anyway, I won't get a crop in future years unless I do the pruning, which I'm about to do this weekend before the bud burst occurs so the plants regrow with good vigorous growth this summer. Well, that's it for this week. If today's show has inspired you to get into the garden, one thing you can do is to mulch your ornamental borders. That's what we're doing at Wisley at the moment. Good piles of compost and bark being spread round the plants before they grow to feed them during the summer and keep the weeds down. For more on today's topics, visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. 
and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.